Welcome to Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam, a podcast about navigating adolescence without losing our minds. Each week, I guide you around the teenage landmines with practical tips, simple solutions, and words of encouragement. I'm your host, Dr. Cam. Let's get on with the show. Welcome back, amazing parents. Do you have a bright teen who is facing challenges in school? You're not alone. Many students possess the potential to excel, but struggle to reach their full potential, which can be frustrating for us parents to witness. To address this issue, I've invited Sam Young, affectionately known as Mr. Sam within his community, to join us today. Sam is the founder and director of Young Scholars Academy, a virtual enrichment school that takes a strength-based and talent-focused approach to support twice exceptionally, definitely wired and gifted students. His aim is to ensure these students feel seen, nurtured, and happy through strength-based courses, camps, and a supportive community. Sam is here to guide us on how to empower our teens to discover, cultivate, and lead with their strengths, talents, and unique interests. Welcome, Sam. How are you? I am so happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Dr. Yeah, Sam. I'm thrilled to have you here. So let's start with a quick background. What inspired you to really focus on, you know, executive functioning and strength-based training, especially for kids? Yeah, I, th- I think like many people, it's usually personal, right? This is a really unique mm-hmm. space to be in. So it usually starts with something that that touches home. And for me, that was sort of two inroads. One was my own, as a child, my own struggles and as an adult, um, having ADHD, I was diagnosed with ADHD at a pretty young age in fourth grade and um, really kind of struggled with the complexity around that as a kid, um, as an adult with the complexity around that too, right? With ADHD often comes things like anxiety and depression and some difficulties. And then growing up and seeing you know, the world around me, seeing um, my dad, who was a twice exceptional adult, he was an artist, incredibly brilliant, could never really get it together. And I would see periods in his life and my life and the lives of others around us where we would be in our zone of genius and operate in our strength space and be in our kind of deficit incompetency space. And um, I really just kind of committed my life to learning more about my own journey, learning more about like ways I could live a better, more happy, fulfilling life and help others do the same, especially kids. Yeah. Can you explain, and I love when it be, it comes from this per- personal place, right? Because then the passion is there and the understanding is there, which is so important. Can you help us understand what you mean by twice exceptional for those people that don't quite understand that and what that looks like so that parents can go, oh, maybe that's an explanation for where my child you know, where my child fits a little. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I often joke that like my work will be done when I no longer have to explain that, but it's a far far way away. Uh, That's a far cry for now. Yeah. The term twice exceptional refers to individuals who possess two exceptionalities, dual exceptionalities, one exceptional strength. So if you picture like a bell curve to people who are watching, this is going to be someone who's maybe two standard deviations over in the, you know, intelligence, strength, talent area. Uh, Think of someone with the mind like a Richard Branson, right? Who's, you know, this incredible entrepreneur mogul person who's clearly got something because he's built something so magnificent. He's Richard Branson, right? Right, exactly. (laughs) And then on the other hand, uh, has an exceptional struggle, 
which would put someone two standard deviations in the struggle area. And Richard Branson is a good example uh, because I, he has dyslexia. Um, you take someone like Simone Biles, Greta Thunberg, you know, fill in the blank. But someone who has exceptional strengths and exceptional struggles. And it's complex because sometimes the strengths, we call this masking, the strengths can be so pronounced that they can mask the, the struggle area. Sometimes the struggles can be so pronounced, they can mask the strength. And sometimes the two can be screaming at the same pitch and they can cover one another, which is the hardest student um, to support. So it's a really complex, I like to think of like asynchrony. We yes. usually think of someone being gifted or, or. Learning difference. And this is gifted and, right? This is complex. Yeah. And I love that because I feel that in the world, People may not be two deviations either way, but I'm going to guess all of us have some strengths and some challenges, and we either focus too much on the challenges and feel like we can't accomplish anything, or like you said, the strengths mask our challenges, which I think I see a lot with kids who parents come in and say, you know, my child is a straight A student, but they're not getting straight A's. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, or, or my child has ADHD and we just, you know, you've almost just given up on uh, not mm -hmm. given up, but you know, you're just going, there's so many struggles here that I don't know how we can ever achieve this. And our focus is completely on, on fixing. And I'm putting that in air quotes, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fixing that problem and not focusing on the strength. So what you do is you're finding that strength, right. And tell me, what are you doing with that strength? Yeah, it's exactly what you're saying. I mean, the, the difficulty is, you know, the saying is like that our students are often square pegs in round holes, right? Yeah. That, and society is often pretty hell bent on kind of shaving off the edges so that we can just plunk them in, right? And it's this, it's this bottom up deficit based system where we, we try to, you know, fix a line, right? It's this hundred year old outdated education system, that's, you know, still trying to get kids ready for factories, even though we're not doing that anymore. And the difficulty with that is that we're, it's incredibly harmful, both as a society, because we're not looking at like the reservoir of talent. And as individuals, as we're just only training our attention, right, where the attention goes, like the mind and energy flow, and we start feeling bad about ourselves. Why am I not X? Why am I not Y? And I often think of that silly um but but kind of a glaringly obvious cartoon. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's like a teacher at a desk and there's like six animals aligned, right? And it's like a fish in a, a, in a goldfish bowl and there's like a mm -hmm. dolphin and a giraffe and a pigeon. And, you know, it's like for a fair exam today, everyone's going to climb that tree, right? Right. It's like all these animals <laughs> have these incredible talents. Yeah. And if you were to assess the fish based on something aquatic and the giraffe based on the tree bit, those are fair perhaps. But we're not doing that. We're asking everyone to be good at the same things. And you know, my favorite educational psychologist, Dr. Joseph Renzulli, has this quote, which is quite absurd when we think about it, but we don't do this with ourselves. He says, no one cares about Einstein's ability to paint or Picasso's ability to do complex math. Right. Right. So why are we so obsessed with everyone doing the same thing and being good at it? Like Simone Biles, right? Going back to another modern example, you know? Yeah. I don't know how she did in math class or English. Personally, it doesn't really matter to me because she's arguably the greatest gymnast of all time. Yet she's someone who has ADHD and perhaps struggled in the classroom. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I just think it makes so much more sense when we kind of zoom out and say, like, what's the point of school? What's the point of, of, of you know, 
what are our aims or our values and can we kind of reshuffle the deck so that we can move away from as i said bringing the bottom up focusing on deficits and start raising the roof and focusing on our strengths and talents i see this quite a bit and and think one of the things we struggle with the most is right now is we just have the world telling us and i, I mean parents telling us that our kids need to achieve in school to be able to be successful in life. And this has just been pounded, pounded, pounded in our brains. And so we get very focused. And I see parents that are so focused on the grades and the school that they will take away the very things that children are talented at and love to help them focus on the grade, right? To do that better. And these kids come to me very depressed because the things they love, they don't get to do and the things that they hate, they're being pushed to do more of. And so how do we break out of this mold? And, and I'm not saying, and I know you're not saying just blow up school and it doesn't matter, but no, we're not going to get straight A's in every single class. That's just, some people do, but it's like for us to be experts in every single field is just craziness, right? It's about finding that place that you excel at, finding that place where you want to really focus on. And this stuff is like, okay, that's the stuff I don't want to focus on. Mm -hmm. How do we reset our mindset to, to focus on that, where we can really help our kids find their strengths? I mean, it's such a great question. And this could be an hour long discussion. I've done an hour long discussion <laughs> yeah, about easy. just this topic. Yeah. But I think that there's, there's a couple of things. One is it, it, like most things in life, it starts with us. It starts with parents. It starts with educators kind of doing the deep work and saying like, why do I want this? Why am I asking this? Is this perpetuating some kind of cycle or focusing on, you know, what I think it is to be educated or, or whatever it might be. And there's a tremendous amount of trickle down pressure, you know, like kindergarten parents are already thinking about what Ivy league their kids are going to go to. Right. And it's, it's not sustainable. It puts a lot of pressure on all of us. Um, I think that things like having an understanding of intelligence, like multiple, like Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences, right? That yeah. that not everyone, you know, really, if there are, let's say, eight forms of intelligence, right? Kinesthetic, verbal, spatial, naturalistic, you know, two of those are in school, arguably, right? Like you could say that like maybe like verbal, visual, and mathematic, right? You're alienating, you know, five-eighths of the intelligences right there. And Dr. Renzulli, the one with the Picasso and Einstein quote, yeah. uh, re kind of redefined giftedness for us as well. And he said that, you know, gifted, it's not that people are gifted. It's that people can display gifted behaviors. And that it's the intersection. It's like this triple Venn diagram mm. that there's certain people at certain times under certain circumstances. And so, we need that intersection. And I think that if we just expect everyone to be good at everything all the time, by definition, you're kind of only appealing to people who are like schoolhouse gifted. Yeah. But as a society, I don't, again, I don't know that our values, like we worship people who have dropped out, like the sort of Silicon Valley CEO, right? Yeah. We, like, we pray to Elon Musk and, you know, yeah. you know, I, I'm not saying that I do, that. <laughs> but, but as a society, we do, right? If you yeah. look at, um, Wealth. Who makes who makes a lot of money? Yeah. Who has a lot of followers? Those are right. the 
you know, yeah. innovators, people who have dropped out and bucked the system. And it's why don't we just, you know, engineer the system so that it, we don't celebrate people who quit. We just have a system that right. is engineered to help people succeed, right? And so I think that it can really start with just identifying strengths, like on a micro level. Um, what are our students good at? I, you know, I joke about this all the time. I, I talked about this recently. Um, you know, at some point, someone was probably telling George Lucas to like put his doodles away in class, right? Like, exactly. And, yep. and, and maybe got a C or, you know, heaven yep. forbid, right? Got detention or something for doodling. And here we are now, those doodles became, you know, third grade George Lucas was creating you know, the Star Wars universe, which is maybe one of the most important contributions like internationally to, 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 to film. Um, and I just think of kind of the audacity of that, right? Yeah. So I think that if we have kids who are doodling, if we have kids that are streaming, if we have kids that are playing Minecraft, if we have kids that are making lemonade stands, like let's lean into that and ask big questions. Let's rather than approach from a place of kind of trickle down anxiety of am I, is my kid going to make it to Yale? Um, let's be curious, you know, let's, why are they going headfirst into this? Why are they so passionate about spending all their time on Reddit? You know, yeah. are they, do they feel important because maybe they're in charge of like a server or are they, you know, in Minecraft because they can hide behind their avatar and they feel safe constructing and playing a character because there's roles, you know, if I think if we go in with an inquisitive headspace and try to understand like what needs are our kids meeting and what what's lighting them up right now, yes, they may not be struggling and they may be struggling in X, but they may be thriving in Y. Can we train our attention over to Y and figure out what's going on there? I think one of the struggles with doing this, and, and I love everything you say, one of the things that I see is that we have an idea of what the good things we want our kids, the good strengths, the good things we want our kids to focus on and the things that we don't want our kids to focus on. And I see a lot of kids wanting to focus on the things that parents don't believe are the good things to focus on. So a good example is social media. You know, kids were like, we got to pull them away from social media, pull them away from this and get them focused on their math homework. And I will tell you right now, trying to build up my social media it is hard. And I keep having to go to my daughter saying, can you help me with Instagram? Because I keep posting stupid stuff that <laughs> I didn't mean to, or I can't figure out how to do this. And the world right now is going, that's a skill we have to have. And yet we're saying, no, you got to go focus on this. And I'm not saying again, mass bad, it's good in a lot of ways, but it's not the strength of everyone. But understanding that computer games and, and TikTok and YouTube and things that were like bad, bad, bad are actually the wave of the future. And so when you're saying lean into their strengths, it's not like, oh yeah, skip school and just do YouTube, but it's like, let's get interested in why they love YouTube. How do we use YouTube to help them expand their knowledge? Mm -hmm. Right. Is that, is that Absolutely, where you're going? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think a big part of it is is kind of letting go of how things come to pass, right? Like, again, I, th I think that there are kind of non-negotiables. People should know math. They should, you know, be able to read. They should know the alphabet, right? Um, I think that all of these things are important and they definitely have their place. I just also think that we don't necessarily get to, like, choose how our kids are going to, when they're going to, or where they're going to shine, Yeah. right? And as you're saying, like, when I was young, I was, I was going to buy a TV and I was, it was my first big purchase. And I was really anxious. And my friend's dad was in tech and he said, the moment you buy a TV, it's already outdated. So don't stress so much. Right. You know? <laughs> and 
you know, I thought, wow, that's, I think about that a lot. And, you know, as parents, we're outdated. <laughs> we don't, yes. we don't, we don't get to like, <laughs> if you told me, Sam, you're going to, you know, even like young me or my parents, like, Sam's going to start this like virtual enrichment school. It's going to help these kids called twice exceptional kids, like come together from all over the world. And they won't ever meet face to face, but they're best friends online. And, oh, they're going to do like graduate level work in their little like 11 year old bodies. And, you know, I, I, don't, I thought I was a classroom <laughs> teacher in a brick and mortar, right? right? Or like, yeah. you know, imagine a YouTuber who's making more money than I'll ever see in my life, creating content that they love from their bedroom, right? Yeah. Like their parents were probably like, stop putting your camera on and start doing your social studies. So we, we don't really get to choose how our kids are going to shine. And, you know, I did an interview project with some friends. I live in Los Angeles. And so a lot of my friends are kind of like quirky creatives. And I realized that like my friend who's a director, my friend who's a musician, uh, my, my acting friends, like they all are successful. This is a big mic drop quote here. They're all successful in spite of their educations, not because mm. of them, Yeah. right? Yeah. They're successful in spite of them, not because of them, because they were doing things on the side that now yeah. generate their happiness, generate their revenue, generate their status. Um, of course, that later they could do things like go to university and go to like film school, right? Or acting yeah. school. But most of everything leading up to then was not necessarily, no, sure. Do you need to be able to write as a director and read? And yes, all that stuff's important. Um, but I think that we just need to let go a bit of how things come to pass and allow our students to, yes, still still have to do the things that are there are harms to social media. There is cyberbullying. Like, mm -hmm. There are issues, right? And we do need to navigate those carefully as parents. Yeah. I'm not saying like, let's go anarchy mode here, but but we don't get to know, you know, the inter. Uh, if if you've ever seen the I key guy, it's like um, a Venn diagram of mm -hmm. you know our strengths, our passions, the needs of others, our love, right? It's all these spheres. Like we don't get to choose that. If you said, for example, to someone who loves to share knowledge. Like, oh, you should be a teacher. That's very one-dimensional. Maybe they don't want to actually interact with people. They don't want to grade. Maybe they want to be a content creator, like a YouTuber or a podcaster. So I think that if we just kind of have these like narrow things, like you're going to do this, you're going to major in this, what, what are you going to study? It's, it's very prescriptive. And I think that the world's changing around us all the time. Um, you might hire some high schooler who's, you know, a rock star social that's media. That's what star. I want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that person's like side, you know, interest is now their bread and butter, right? And they right? can scale that maybe. So how do we, as parents who are still, still holding strong on this belief, it's, it's, it's hard to let go of it. How do we help our kids navigate this world that we just live in right now? to find their strengths and help them support it. How do we do that? Yeah, I I, I think it's, Sir Ken Robinson in, in a TED talk once said, you know, he had this TED talk uh, based on a book he wrote called Schools Are Killing Creativity. And he said, you know, everyone's had an education, therefore everyone has an opinion about one, right? And so like a lot of the times, again, we have this idea. I think number one starts with let go of how things come to pass. Uh, number two, I think is be curious. What is your kid loving? Why and why? And involve them in the conversation. What are they loving and why? And, and and what needs are they fulfilling? Again, you might think it's just like they're online a lot and they're gaming, but they might be doing something really prestigious and important. They might be leading others and be respected. Yeah. And they may not get that at school, right? So what needs are they meeting? And 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 what are they doing and why? I think too is again just exposure, right? Like 
especially our twice exceptional kids. And I'll give you an example of a young girl in my school. She's 11 years old and has a 179 IQ, okay. right? And if you take that, that's a complex, to give you an idea, like it's believed Einstein was maybe 165 to 185. So this young girl could very well have an IQ that's higher than Einstein's in 11-year-old body. What do you do with that? She is not interested in the same things that her neurotypical 11-year-old girlfriends would be interested in. She's thinking about the climate change and the percentage of meteors that almost hit the world every day and rising tides and how that will affect her, her zip code. And, you know, she's wrestling with heavy stuff, but she's not going to go hang out with like 20 something grad students because that would be wildly inappropriate socially. So you have this complex profile of this kid with this off the charts, dangerously high IQ. And then these kind of struggling, lagging ability areas that come with being autistic. And that's a complex profile. Yeah. So I think that we need to take our kids and expose them to different interests, regardless of what we think about them. Um, this young girl made a website in one of our climate change advocacy classes. She's written a letter to her senator. She engineered like a claw machine in our engineering class out of cardboard. Wow. Like this is stuff that really feels pertinent to her. And and she goes deeper, right? More depth, more, more complexity, more nuance. And if you let go of this, think, oh, these are all the things that we want, right? There's rigor, there's academia. Another example would be Dungeons and Dragons, we have a D&D program, which is wildly popular. Yeah. And if you pause and say, what do you want your kid to do? Well, I want my child to be able to socialize. I want them to be able to take turns. I want them to be an active listener. I want them to problem solve. That may not be happening in, in English class, but I can guarantee you when there's a dragon to face, right? Oh, yeah. These things are happening because <laughs> it feels relevant, right? Yeah. So I think a big part of it, again, is just being open to exploration, uh, curiosity, exposing our kids to all kinds of different things that might light them up and realizing that, you know, what it is that they end up doing in this life that fills them up, that, that makes them feel like, you know, abundantly joyful and, and happy um, is probably going to be the intersection of many things. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's important, I think, to kind of, to let go a bit. And I, I say to, for those people who are like, that's a cop-out answer. I want concrete. I say that there's two, there's two key ingredients especially for our, all the research is incredibly clear, right? Neurodivergent kids need to be with neurodivergent kids. Mm -hmm. They need to be with like-minded friends because they have these asynchronies, these twice exceptional kids, especially more pronounced. Um, and the other thing, so, so one is they need to be with like-minded kids. The other is mentors. Our students need neurodivergent mentors so they can look over, right? I call this like the X axis of success. They need to look left and right and say, these kids are like me. And then they need to look up on the Y axis and say that adults like me and, you know, everything's going to be okay. And I think that when these two combine, that's an incredibly powerful, you know, recipe for success. I think in general, even for all kids, for right? Everyone. It's yeah. so, it's so necessary. And I, I know there's people listening going, okay, you're talking about these kids that have these extreme abilities. My kid, love them, but my kid, and someone's thinking, my kid is, is average. My kid is not showing extreme talent in anything. They would, if I don't say anything, they're just going to lay on their bed all day and scroll through YouTube. What do we say to these parents that are like, I have to push my kid or else my kid will just lay there? Yeah, I think, it, again, it's really important. Um, many of our students are incredibly bright and um, yeah, they want to do the least amount required, right? Like that's yeah. like, right? They, like, what's the saying? Like work smart, not hard. Like it's part of working smart is realizing like what's important, what isn't. Yes. And again, there's complexity. A lot of these things 
are addictive. Things that you and I didn't face when we were young, right? Growing up pre-tech and growing into tech is different than growing up with this kind of symbiotic relationship to tech. And we do need to be careful because sometimes our kids need like a very real detox. We have a high population of kids off the charts IQs who have severe tech addiction and go to tech addiction therapists and programs because because they're so bright, because they have these um, really deep uh, curiosities and parts of their brains that are craving complexity and underdeveloped parts of their brains, like their executive function stuff, prefrontal lobe stuff that is going to, you know, monitor that. Okay. I think three episodes of the show is enough. It's time to go to bed. I mean, I struggle with that as an adult. I need that. (laughs) Yeah. Right. One more more episode. Right. And that, you know, your prefrontal cortex is supposed to develop until you're like 30. Um, I mean, imagine being 13. Right? I'm hoping so, mine still is. Yeah, yeah exactly. So they don't, they're, they're against going against things that are really difficult to regulate without the, without the ability and skills and experience and practice and everything to do that. So yeah, we have to step in, but I think stepping in from the realization that they need help, not punishment or, you know, shame on you for doing that, but yeah. more of a, okay, I know this is really tough. Let's figure this out together. Yeah. And going in as a Sherlock Holmes kind of like curious, like, what is it? Is it just like, is this just a buzz? Cause it's just like well-generated content or is there yeah. something there that they're really fired up about? And then, you know, can we be more flexible in school? Is there a way to differentiate more? I think that, you know, again, if we look back at the multiple intelligences, like if everyone's being asked to do the same stuff the same way, it's going to shut a lot of kids off. You take someone who's brilliant, but has dyslexia or dysgraphia, like you're asking them to like write with pen yeah. on paper. Like that's just a Sisyphusian feat. It's not, it's not possible. And so instead, can we let go as educators as well, how things come to pass? If I want my students to demonstrate, they understand the role of women in World War One, instead of taking the test or like writing the paper, can they do a podcast or make a YouTube video or do a play or like bring in clothing, you know? Um, costume design you know what what are we really going for here and what are some ways that we can appeal to different kinds of brains i think what's hard is the education system is so big and deep and convoluted and complicated it's hard to steer it to catch up with the times and so it we see year after year how it works is lagging behind how kids think and what kids need. And so I think we're sending them all day into an environment that they don't relate to it all anymore because it's a lot of it's not even relevant to their lives anymore. And so they really struggle with that going, I'm spending all this time in an environment that is stifling to me and doesn't get me, doesn't understand me at all. And I see that a lot. And yet we're constantly forcing them to do it and getting upset with them when they're not you know, fitting in with that system. And these kids are frustrated too. And then parents get frustrated because the kids aren't just, we did it. That's a lot of it is our excuse, right? 30 years ago, we did it. Well, the world was very different then. Right. We also walked uphill both ways and (laughs) (laughs) we we misremember these things, right? Uh, Yeah. We complain about school too. Um, Definitely. So exactly. So I think it's really getting to understand kids today are very different. Um, Their brains are not different. Their world is different. Mm -hmm. That's good. So what is, what is one or two big takeaways that you want to make sure listeners walk away with today? 
I would say number one, where your attention goes is everything. And, you know, a lot of us really deal with the fallout of that. Again, I, I had an incredibly supportive family growing up, um, but I had a really difficult time. You know, I spent a lot of my life thinking I was stupid. Um, you know, I have, I couldn't read as fast. It takes me seven times longer to do homework than my classmates. I had a very little social life for a lot of my life. And then that builds this, this cycle of, of, well, it's better. I just work all the time. That's the only way to stay safe. And I should work all the time. And, that's how I get here. And, you know, it, it can be really harmful to train our attention on the things that we're not good at when, you know, I, I actually, you and I were talking when we met last about a TEDx talk. I finally did a TEDx talk. And thank you. Yeah, <laughs> inspired by you. And Thanks. my talk was about how our kids are like superheroes, right? But, and superheroes have a deficit, but it's part of who they are. It's not who they are, right? Like, right. If Superman spent his whole life getting over his kryptonite allergy, like that would there would be no Superman, right? There would be no stopping Good point, Trump, right? Let yeah. Luther, right? But we spend our lives trying to get over the like the one thing that's wrong with us when 99 things might be right. Yeah. And I think that it's just so important that where our attention goes matters a lot and that we need to try, try to focus less. We should be realistic. If you have anxiety, you have, you know, depression, you have ADHD, dyslexia, autism, auditory processing, whatever it might be. Like those are things that there are interventions that perhaps can help and it's important to look in different options. Um, but focus our attention on the ways we show up in the world and our strengths. Cause that's probably how we're going to, you know, contribute value to society and live a happy, meaningful life. Yeah. So that'd be number one. And number two would be connect with more people like you, you know, you're not alone. Find if you're a neurodivergent young person, twice exceptional ADHD, the whole list, find people like you and and converge with them around your interests and your strengths and find mentors who can support you. And parents do this for your kids because they can't do it for themselves. Um, and you will see exponential growth and happiness. We had an open house last week and I asked my families, like we had three families come and all of our teachers are there. And I asked all the, the families, like, what do you love about Young Scholars Academy? And every kid's like, this is the most fun I have. And I get to connect with kids who are like me. And that. like, that's just invaluable. You know, we had um, a young girl in class two weeks ago. She's like, I'm autistic. Raise your hand if you're autistic, you know, <laughs> and, and like nine years old, you know, and the other kids are, are like, oh, I am too, or I have ADHD. And, you know, it's, they're bragging about something that I think they have to hide in other places. So yeah. being in like a neurodivergent, you know, affirming environment is really important and being with people like like us around our interests that's what we do as people right we kind of converge around our interests and many people who love college love like they their major or they loved in university they like like the clubs or something you know like that's the stuff that we hold on to and remember i i think too just bringing and making that their strength rather than their weakness too is really important because we see a lot of kids like my daughter has adhd and that's something that has always been this like ongoing struggle versus not struggle. Cause she's extraordinarily, you know, she, she's musical and loves on creative. And when she is interested in something laser focused. So it's like, how do we take what it means to have to be ADHD and find the strengths in that rather than saying, Oh, this is all the things that this is going to prevent you from doing well. It's, these are the things that's going to help you do well because of the way your brain thinks. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I think it's even turning what we would technically call challenges into their strengths of who they are and what makes them unique. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, when it comes to like, you know, ADHD can be characterized by like inattentiveness and overattentiveness, right? And, um, you know, I want someone that's overattentive in certain parts of my life. Like yeah, I want exactly. the next person to be really, like really attentive to these things. And so I don't necessarily hire balanced people. I don't necessarily hang out with really balanced people. And I don't know why, you know, school celebrates that so much. Yeah, it it does. Um, okay. So we've got these kids that are twice exceptional. We've got kids and I feel like wherever there's an exception, there's going to be a challenge and vice versa, right? So we're always looking, we always have to be aware of those. So if we're focused on the challenge, let's start looking and going, where's the, where's the strength, mm-hmm. right? If we're completely focused on the strength, we've got to understand there's probably an underlying challenge that we may be missing. And I know with a lot of kids who are extremely bright or extremely athletic that are getting pushed very hard in this direction, a lot of them are dealing with mental health issues, mm-hmm. right? And struggling internally. That's okay, right? And letting them know it's okay. So we've got that balance there. We need to make sure that we're understanding that we have we may have a path set for our kid, And it may seem like the very best path that we can imagine for our kid. It doesn't mean it's the right path for our kid. Mm -hmm. That's going to be hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredibly difficult. And um, it's also the timeline too. It's not just the pathway, right? Like it's, I'm not saying it's easy. And I think it's important to say that, you know, your kid might not run right out and do a four-year college because this part of their brain that they might require for for college just isn't developed yet. And it's unrealistic. And that's really tough for parents who are like, you know, this is not what we expected. This isn't what we did. Yes. And right. Yes. And yes, that's true. And this is the reality. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. It just means that they're going a different path and a different pace. Yeah. I want one, I have one more question for you before we go. Um, we recognize a strength in our child. What is the best way to encourage that strength without adding unnecessary pressure or making that strength suddenly something that they regret letting us know about? Yeah, I mean that's a really good point. And I, if if we had an hour instead of half an hour, I would have actually talked about that as a qualifier because I think a danger is that we sometimes squeeze the fun out of passions, um, right? Yeah, we over yeah. overly academic uh, lens that we have. And what's really important, I think, is to to not do that, right? I think it's it's often better to save something as a treat than it is to make it the crux of all things education, right? So if some kid's really interested in Minecraft, let's say, yes, we can make that the center of their whole entire everything. Or we can say, hey, why don't we like, let's just knock out the stuff that we have to do and we can make some connections to Minecraft and then we can get to the fun stuff, you know? And I think, yeah, it has to, we have to make sure we don't squeeze the fun out of out of everything that we love because, well, I, I, it's like being a chef who goes home and makes PB and J's, right? Like the last thing that you yeah, want to do. They want to do. Well, and the but, other thing I see that we tend to do, and I, I mean, I know that I'm, I can be guilty of this too, is we see something that our kids love and then we take ownership of it. We're like, okay, we're going to sign you up for this class now. And have you thought about this and that? And all of a sudden we're pushing, pushing so hard because we're trying to be supportive that now we own it and we're taking their joy out of it because they are not just doing it because they love it anymore. They're feeling pressured to reach our expectation of it now and we've reset. And then they change their mind and we're like, what do you mean? We just spent all this time and focus on this one thing and you're changing your mind. We got to let them change their mind. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that always asking our values, you know, why, uh, why do we not want our child to quit something if it's maybe even traumatic, right? Yeah. If enrolled in a sport, or like, you know, it's bringing up some difficulties or a club or something. It's like, okay, what are our values here? Yes, sticking with it is important, but also in having the courage to say, I'm done with this. This is not good for me. That's also another value. And it's also really important. Yeah. Changing the word from quit to stopping it instead. Mm -hmm. It's not, we don't want to raise quitters is this big thing, but telling kids that they have to keep doing something that they're absolutely miserable in seems that seems like a really bad message to give them too, right? You're stuck. You're, you make a bad choice and now you're stuck. And now I'm never making a choice again because I'm afraid I might get stuck, mm -hmm. right? So I think there's a difference between quitting and stopping. Yeah, I like that a lot. So I could keep going on, but I know you've got to go. So I'm going to close out and I'm going to say, thank you, Sam. I'm really grateful you could join us today. Thank you, Dr. Cam. I really enjoyed being here and I so appreciate, you know, the work that you're doing and connecting and serving everyone. So thanks for having me. Ditto. And thank you, parents, for taking time out of your busy day to spend with us as well. I really appreciate you. If you want more information on how to best support your teens, check out my 10 top tips for raising teens at askdrcam.com slash parenting tips. Until next time, stay curious. Remember, there's always more to the story than what you see. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today on Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. Make sure to visit my website, www.askdrcam.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show again. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, and hey, why not share it with a friend too? Be sure to tune in to my next episode. And remember, parenting teens may not be easy, but with my help, it can be a whole lot easier than this.